It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. The Potsdam Declaration was given to the Japanese people on July 26, 1945. It was very simple. Surrender now, or you will be totally destroyed. The Americans had discovered nuclear power, and the atomic bomb was ready to drop. But first, the season of mercy. Eleven days were given. But Japan refused to humble themselves. Hey, this is Eric. It's interesting how similar the Potsdam Declaration is to the John the Baptist Declaration 2,000 years prior. In fact, it is identical to the Jesus Declaration, and for that matter, it is identical to the Disciples' Declaration and the Apostles' Declaration. Surrender, and you will receive mercy. But if you don't surrender to the goodness of Jesus Christ, imminent destruction awaits. The Church of Jesus Christ is the delivery vehicle for this ominous declaration. I think it is good that we freshly tremble before this solemn reality and that we freshly prepare ourselves to deliver it to this world, even if this world is about as excited to hear about it right now as Japan was to hear it in the late summer of 1945. If you would like to access the other episodes in this series on World War II, please visit ellersley.com forward slash daily. Well, this is the day after Thanksgiving. I'm hoping it went well for you guys. Uh, great Thanksgiving in the Ludi home. Uh, just feels so, it's like bursting with gratefulness. And it's such a funny statement in the midst of a year like 2020 to uh, be bursting with gratefulness. But I really am. I just feel like God has leveraged this nonsense is the way many of us feel it it would be the best word for it into a great gain for the church of Jesus Christ I know here locally it has been a great inspiring season and I love how difficulty can be leveraged by the spirit of God and all these frustrations that are there could easily easily go in the flesh and we it could really burden us and they could really get us down and they could get us upset and we could start behaving like the rest of the world out there or they could be leveraged by the Holy Spirit to transform us and to bring us to our knees, to come to that cross and cling to it afresh to say, thank you, Lord, for what you did for us. You suffered far more than we've ever suffered. Thank you for what you have given us. And so I am just thankful uh, as we go into this uh, this morning. Uh, This is uh, called the Truman Warning. And we're right at the end of the this world war ii series i actually have two other episodes mapped out after this uh one is about the finishing uh of the churchill uh minister ministry i guess you could call it that since he was the prime minister and then the other one is uh just a reflection upon the close of the war and what that felt like for those that were involved in it and just just sort of going to bring those two other themes to the surface. This one actually wasn't in my uh, my outline originally, and it sort of found its way in. and And I'm not exactly sure uh, why I have such a weight for this. I mean, I guess I do, and you'll you'll understand. We all do in a, in a different regard, but. This is the Truman warning. There's something so sobering when you get to the atomic bombs, you get to the, uh, when this discovery of nuclear power, and you see it utilized against Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, I mean, it's, it's not just devastating. It is, like, hard to even put words to. I mean, you, I've studied a lot of war, and I've studied a lot of devastation in and through World War II, and this just sort of silences you. 
where you just have no comment. It's like watching the Passion of the Christ and attempting to speak right afterwards. You just have no words. Uh, it's, there's certain things that dumbfound you, that leave you speechless because they so shake you. And that's, that's sort of the way this is for me. And that's without even studying it at a great dimension. In other words, it's not like I actually have studied a lot of the works of the Japanese to describe what it was like to be there. I haven't actually gone into even that. It's just more a survey, an overview, and yet it has uh, been very uh, stunning to my soul. The seriousness of judgment, I guess, is the way I would describe it. So uh, let's go into this. You'll see the dates on the screen, July 17th through August 2nd, 1945. This is the hour in which we are right now. Uh, July 17th, you're going to see uh, in Potsdam, Germany, uh, the three powers are going to gather. So you're going to have Great Britain, uh, the United States under Truman now, and uh, you're going to see Stalin. Uh, They're all going to show up in Potsdam, Germany for this conference. And this is going to, in a sense, lead to the very end of the war. The end of the war is going to be August 15th, but something's going to happen in that time. And if you remember the last message I gave on Wednesday, which was the atomic bomb is born, that was July 17th. So it's actually the first day of this conference, which is really interesting uh, that uh, this is all going to begin to unfold. And so here's a picture of uh, the, the big three meeting, Winston Churchill, uh, Harry Truman, and Joseph Stalin. Uh, very interesting and hard. It's, a, it's like a, a difficult picture for me, and that, I don't know why I care. But in the midst of this, uh, Churchill is going to be voted out of office. And so he is going to be replaced in the Potsdam Conference. He's going to lose his seat at this table of the big three, even though he originally was the only one standing against this evil. He is going to, in a sense, lose his voice right at this critical juncture. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I, you know, you look at this picture and you look around the table and you're not going to see Churchill. And it's a weird thing in studying World War II to suddenly see some of the most massive decisions in the war are now being made without uh, Winston Churchill. And you know, I almost just want to pay tribute to the guy in the midst of this and say, hey, guys, just remember how you got here. There was one guy who carried this on his shoulders. But uh, nonetheless, this is a critical gathering because out of it, they are going to, first of all, the revelation is going to come, which I might as well just go through. Winston Churchill, this is going to be a very quick review of Wednesday's message, uh, the, the atomic bomb is born. Japan was still unconquered. So even though we have VE Day, victory in Europe, Japan is still unconquered, and so that leads to this moment, which we sort of built upon uh, in the last message. On July 17, world-shaking news arrived. In the afternoon, Stimson called at my abode and laid before me a sheet of paper on which was written, Babies Satisfactorily Born. By his manner, I saw something extraordinary had happened. It means, he said, that the experiment in the New Mexican desert has come off, the atomic bomb is a reality. So big moment in history, and so Truman is obviously informed too, and then they're trying to figure out how they should tell Stalin, and that's an interesting story in and of itself, uh, which is, it's also historic if you think about it, because this arms race is going to begin to, the Russians didn't have nuclear uh, scientific knowledge, and so they're going to, through their spy network, 
get it. But this is, a, this is when Stalin is first hearing about this, which is going to lead to this disaster. But this is all starting right here on July 17th, the very first day of the Potsdam Conference. So obviously that's going to lead to the main focus of the time in the Potsdam uh, Conference, going to lead to something known as the Potsdam Declaration. The Potsdam Declaration is probably one of the most profound uh, you know, apocalyptic sorts of statements. It's like God Almighty reaching down to us on earth and saying, I'm going to destroy this earth with fire. Repent and believe. It's, it has that weight to it, okay? Now, it's veiled, not altogether dissimilar from the way God communicates with us. He gives us the facts and doesn't give us the details. He says, you're going to need to surrender right now. And if you don't, and so I'm going to give you an actual quote. It's, it's a longer declaration. You know that it was never delivered through diplomatic channels to the leadership of Japan. Never was. They actually did it through radio, which it was actually illegal for a J Japanese person to listen to American radio. Illegal. It was traitorous uh, activity, but they did it through radio, and they did it by dropping millions and millions of leaflets. And that's actually how they communicated with the people of Japan. It's, it's like the concept of an open letter. They knew that this people was being cowed by a very small group of leaders. And so they figured they would begin to communicate with the people and let the leaders find out uh, that everyone knows. And so let them be accountable now to the truth of what's about to happen. A very interesting tactic. And so this is called the Potsdam Declaration. July 26, 1945 is when it is going to be released. That is when these flyers are going to begin to fall. So you'll notice on the left side, I have the big three. So this is going to be not just one person, even though it technically is Truman. I'm calling this the Truman warning because Truman is the one with the device. He's the one with the, the baby. Uh, you know, the, the one, first one that's going to be dropped on Hiroshima is called, I think it's called the, the big boy, the little boy. I, I forgot, I can't remember what it's called. It's something like that. So it's actually like a baby still. Uh, but you're going to see the, the flag for the Soviet Union. You're going to see the flag for Great Britain and for the United States. They're all making this declaration. So the Potsdam Declaration, one of its key lines, the one that stands out to me because there's a lot more to it, says, we call upon the government of Japan to proclaim now the unconditional surrender of all Japanese armed forces and to provide proper and adequate assurances of their good faith in such action. The alternative for Japan is prompt and utter destruction. It doesn't say anything about an atomic bomb, that we have nuclear power, that we have finally been able to figure out nuclear fission and nuclear fusion and put these together. It doesn't say anything about that, but it hints very strongly towards it. And I think historically the Japanese understood what this meant because it was pretty well understood that this was what every nation was after right now. They knew that Germany was trying to get it, but didn't quite reach that. Whether or not America had found it or not, this definitely was making a statement. I mean, let's just look at those, those final words there. The alternative for Japan, outside of unconditional surrender, is a prompt and utter destruction. Whew. Okay, if you're carrying around a nuclear weapon, this, is, this would be really hard for Truman. And I haven't gone into it, and I, I'm not actually going to. Truman's decision-making processes, it is fascinating, but I didn't think that that was uh, worthy of an entire, entire message. But 
very difficult. First of all, he was upset and angry at the Japanese from Pearl Harbor. He's an American, and he's still carrying that. He, he probably has some latent hatred going on. And you know, Churchill looks at it differently, so he's like calming Truman down to say, let's, let's look at this from a different lens. And so you see the tension in him, that he could do it as a retaliatory thing, but they are going to reasonably approach the use of this weapon very strategically, which is very fascinating. It's not just let's devastate the whole country. Let's strategically do this to give them another avenue of mercy. Extremely fascinating that they have this power. They could destroy this nation completely. Instead, let's use it in such a way which would then give us another opportunity to give them mercy and to give them a hope and a future. Fascinating uh, concept. And so uh, Kentaro Suzuki uh, is going to be the voice box. You know that the people of Japan had never heard their emperor's voice. And so he always has a representative. And it's very likely that uh, Hirohito, uh, in fact, it's, it's evidenced in this that Hirohito wanted to surrender at this time. And he's the emperor, and he, of course, according to the Japanese, he's God. And yet there's this band of three uh, high-level military officers which have in a sense, control. They've sort of run a coup over this country and are controlling the mindsets of these people, which is 100 million for the cause. We all will die to the last man, uh, to the last woman, to the last child, we will die. And they are still holding this line right now, even though there's a big sector of the government of Japan, which is like, this is reasonable, guys. I don't want complete and utter destruction. I think we should preserve our country. So you see this change of mindset beginning to come into Japan. This was the public response that the, that the Americans specifically need to respond to with this weapon. So Kentaro Suzuki says, my thinking is, this is he's speaking to the Japanese people. My thinking is that the joint, the joint declaration is virtually the same as the earlier declaration. They had already been given a declaration earlier uh, for submission for uh, so that we don't need to invade your shores, we don't need to devastate your country, we, you don't need to lose millions of people, will you please surrender? And so he says, my thinking is that the joint declaration, which is the Potsdam Declaration, is virtually the same as the earlier declaration. The government of Japan does not consider it having any crucial value. We simply, mukasatsu suru, the only alternative for us is to be determined to continue our fight to the end. So obviously, if you're English speaking, you're like, what is that? Uh, mokusatsu, mo mokusatsu suru. So let's translate that. Mokusatsu suru, killing with silence. That's what it means, literally. So the Americans are do doing all this translation stuff to try and figure out how to respond to this. What does that mean? Because they didn't communicate to them. Remember, the, the big three didn't communicate with the Japanese leadership, and the Japanese leadership isn't communicating directly with them. It's just like everyone is a little too proud to communicate directly on this one. And so all they have is this, this is the response. Our decision is to makusatsu, and I'm guessing I'm butchering it. If someone speaks Japanese in here, they're just like, this is terrible. Mokusatsu suru, killing with silence. So this is how the Americans translated that. Rejection by ignoring. We are going to, is it, is killing it with silence. We are going to reject your offer uh, and we are not going to submit by ignoring it altogether. We won't even respond to you. So that was his statement to the Japanese people. So the Americans are saying, 
all right, I guess they're rejecting it, which means, gulp, we need to move forward. Wow. Winston Churchill says this, by the end of July, the Japanese Navy had virtually ceased to exist. And if you study the Japanese Navy in World War II, you are very, very impressed. It is monstrous. If you remember the Battle of Midway, they were so much more powerful than the Americans. And it was David against Goliath. Now, listen to that statement. By the end of July, the Japanese Navy had virtually ceased to exist. The homeland was in chaos and on verge of collapse. The professional diplomats were convinced that only immediate surrender under the authority of the emperor could save Japan from complete disintegration. But power still lay almost entirely in the hands of a military clique determined to commit the nation to mass suicide rather than accept defeat. The appalling destruction confronting them made no impression on this fanatical hierarchy who continued to profess belief in some miracle which would turn the scale in their favor. A whole nation being controlled by this little, as he calls it, a military clique. Eventually, this is Winston Churchill continuing in his memoirs, eventually it was decided to send an ultimatum calling for an immediate unconditional surrender of the armed forces of Japan. This document, which we just went through, the Potsdam Declaration, was published on July 26. Its terms were rejected by the military rulers of Japan, and the United States Air Force made its plans accordingly to cast one atomic bomb on Hiroshima and one on Nagasaki. We agreed, this is an extremely fascinating statement, because what you have is the difference between these evil powers of like Japan and Germany, the way they think and the way they process, and the way you're going to see the Western powers process is just very interesting, because they actually desire to give mercy. It is, it's just interesting to, to witness in light of you know, all of these heinous things that are happening in World War II. We agreed to give every chance to the inhabitants. The procedure was developed in detail. In order to minimize the loss of life, 11 Japanese cities were warned by leaflets on July 27 that they would be subjected to intensive air bombardment. Next day, six of them were attacked. Twelve more were warned on July 31st and four were bombed on August 1st. The last warning was given on August 5th. By then, the super fortresses claimed to have dropped a million and a half leaflets every day and three million copies of the ultimatum. The first atomic bomb was not cast until August 6. History.com, uh, that's where I got this one from. Oh, that, I have the name of the, the bomb. It's called The Little Boy. Uh, on August 6, 1945, the United States dropped its first atomic bomb on a, from a B-29 bomber plane called the Enola Gay over the city of Hiroshima, Japan. The Little Boy, that's in quotes, uh, exploded with about 13 kilotons of force leveling five square miles of the city and killing 80,000 people instantly. Tens of thousands more would later die from radiation exposure. It's estimated from that bomb, close to 150,000 people died. Uh, 80,000 immediately and likely uh, 70,000 more plus uh, from radiation. I mean, that's just like hard to even comprehend. So here's a picture of Hiroshima. For those of you that are getting this via podcast, it's just, it's hard to even comprehend an area so devastated. I mean, the, the picture is just so extreme uh, of what this bomb did. <clears throat> Winston Churchill, on August 9th, the Hiroshima bomb was followed by a second, this time on the city of Nagasaki. Now listen to this comment uh, made in history.com. 
When the Japanese did not immediately surrender, who would not immediately surrender? <laughs> when the Japanese did not immediately surrender, the United States dropped a second atomic bomb three days later on the city of Nagasaki. The fat man, that was the name of the other uh, bomb, the fat man killed an estimated 40,000 people on impact. This event is going to bring them to their knees. And as a result, you're going to see the end of the war that will uh, precipitate out of this. Winston Churchill uh, says this, Next day, despite an insurrection by some military extremists, <laughs> the Japanese government agreed to accept the ultimatum. August 15, 1945 is known as VJ Day, Victory in Japan. So the fact that it took such extreme measures to end this war, I just want us to think about our own souls and the culture in which we live. What does it take to bring us to our knees? And you'll see even after those two bombs, there's still those in Japan that refuse to surrender. And in, in our culture, you, you see it too. I mean, every, in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But I don't know that it's all gonna be willingly done. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that's like when you're forced to bend your knee and your mouth is forced to speak. I, I don't know. Uh, but what we're seeing is something that each of us, in a sense, walks through. When we go through difficulties, you know, God will allow difficulties into our life for the sole purpose of supplying us mercy, which is an incredible thought, because either we receive mercy by surrendering now, or we will ultimately be devastated, completely annihilated, if you want to say it that way. This will destroy us if we do not bend our knee. And that's what I want to just emphasize here as we go through this. Matthew 3, 1 through 2, you're going to see, first of all, it's John the Baptist. Then you're going to see Jesus pick up this same message. And then you're going to see Jesus handed off to his disciples. It's a message. It's a very specific message. It's a Truman warning is what it is. Uh, by the way, guys, destruction is coming. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now look at this. This is very fascinating because Matthew 4, 12 through 13 and verse 17, it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, remember John was going around saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Once John is put in prison, Jesus sort of picks up the message. He departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That sounds a little like John the Baptist. Hey guys, this is happening soon. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need absolute surrender right now, unconditional surrender to the king. And what you're going to see is that the people love their darkness and they are going to reject this invitation. Not all of them, but a good portion of them are going to reject this invitation. Matthew 10, 7. As you go, so this is now Jesus talking to his disciples. As you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't that interesting? It's like you need to remind them. August 6th is coming. This is leaflets that are flying down, being dropped all over the nation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 17, 28 through 30. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. 
But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Whew. So, uh, what we see is when this, this, this day in which the Son of Man is revealed, which of course could be confusing of what that means, was that when he was revealed at the cross? It seems to be when he comes in the skies, when he is revealed uh, as the King of kings and Lord of lords and all his majesty and might. But what we see is that just like that, it will rain fire and brimstone from heaven. So this idea of fire coming from heaven and consuming, which not altogether different than a, an atomic bomb blast. It's just a lot more severe. So if you thought that was impressive, uh, just wait till the heavens and the earth are destroyed uh, by it. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. What a statement. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? So in the midst of that, when you're seeing that all the elements will dissolve with fervent heat, it's easy to get distracted with the heat and the, the melting and all that and miss the question that is couched in that. If you knew that this was true, if you knew that this world was basically going to be bomb blasted, if you recognize that, listen to this, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and coming of the day of God? So there's a, there's a question that is baked into that. It's like Peter's not just trying to scare you. It's like, do you recognize with sobriety of your judgment right now, does it change how you think you should live out your remaining days here, now that you know this? If you really know this, how are you going to live differently? If you knew that the inhabitants of Hiroshima were going to be devastated soon, how would you approach the inhabitants of Hiroshima? If you knew that the inhabitants of Sodom were going to be destroyed soon, how would you handle the inhabitants of Sodom? It's a very interesting, challenging question for our soul because part of us can easily take that calloused view that we see so commonplace in our world today, which is just let them burn. When in actuality, that's not God's heart, which is very fascinating. He will burn it. He will. But he doesn't just say, let them burn. He actually is going to entreat us. Why does he need to send John the Baptist out there? Why does he go out there himself, personally, God Almighty, come to this earth to share a message? Then he sends his disciples out to say, give them warning. Give them a Potsdam declaration. They need to hear that this is all going to be burned up. They need to understand that judgment is coming. This is in the days of Noah type of stuff here. You know, if, if you knew that that judgment was coming and God says, build the ark, well, you'd say, hey, let's make room in the ark for people to come on in. So this is still in this passage here. 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So in light of all of this, we as believers are cloaked in Christ in the midst of this judgment. We do not fear the bomb blast if we are with Truman. (laughs) But you do fear for those that are against Truman in this situation. Now, I'm massively elevating Truman as if he's some righteous picture of God in this, which I definitely do not want to do, nor do I want to attribute that to America. However, if you were to look at the good and evil in this, you have a nation that at this time, under Truman, still fears God, still is Christian in its, in its essence, in its desires, in its outcomes, even though you have a lot of mm, stuff beginning to build in this country at that time. And then you have a nation which has all outrightly rejected the Christian message, and that's Japan. Their God is their emperor. And they have bloodlust, they have greed and passion. That's what is going to lead to the bombing of Pearl Harbor in the first place. It's a lie. They are feigning a relationship of trust with America, and they're going to violate it at the most severe level. And they hate Jesus. And you should see how they treated Christians in their country. In other words, they have rejected Christianity. And so you have a a, a parallel here, even though it's an imperfect one, granted. And Truman is definitely not Jesus Christ, And America is definitely not the kingdom of heaven. Don't misquote me on that one, please. However, what you see is one nation that wants to bring justice. They actually don't want to rule in Japan. They don't want Japan. They just want this war to cease. They want the violence to stop. They just want Japan and the people of Japan to be freed from this military clique that is controlling it. They want them set free to just live their lives in peace. It's interesting. I mean, the motive is very different. When you look at Stalin and you look at Hitler and you look at Hirohito, or whether it was Hirohito, he just happens to be the guy that gets blamed for it because he's the emperor, but it's not him, this military clique, whichever way you look at it, those guys were wanting territory. They want to take what belongs to someone else and use it for themselves. But then you look at Great Britain, you look at Canada, you look at America in World War II, and what you see in Australia, you look at these nations that are actually saying, we want to get the evil out and then give it back to the people. Very interesting. A a very uh, different entire uh, methodology. So as we have gone through this war landscape, so many times over I have trembled through the parallels and just sort of seen that we are in a sense repeating patterns of history past, that as a growing menace uh, is, is sort of emerging on the landscape of this world and threatening, that so many people that know what is righteous, know what is good, actually choose to ignore it because to focus on it means they need to do something. And the same thing is going to happen in Great Britain and in America uh, and in France back in the beginnings of World War II or before World War II is going to start. And we see a similar pattern today where I, I think what we see is an awakening. We're sort of like in a 1939 zone right now where we're saying, that's a lie. It's actually what they're going to say. Neville Chamberlain is himself, even though he's been believing the lie of Hitler this whole time, he's finally going to say, Hitler lied to us. He has not kept his word, and therefore, we have to do something. We cannot let this man, who is 
living in, is giving us false premises for why we should trust him, we cannot let him go any further. And so you're going to see Neville Chamberlain himself, he's going to be voted out and Churchill's going to come in, even though he did actually sort of repent and believe, if you want to say it that way, and he did stand up. But I see this same tension in our world today. There is a grotesque evil that is coming upon our country right now, and it is attempting to swallow it up. And you sort of look around and you say, well, but who is going to do anything about it? What are we going to do? We are carriers of a very strong military power, the name of Jesus Christ. And we have been given a Potsdam Declaration to share with this world. We may look like we're being defeated, but we're actually the ones carrying the message of surrender now. Bend your knee, declare he is Lord, for he is coming soon. And they might say, hey, we've surrounded him. We've got him backed into a corner. There's nothing that the one enthroned in heaven can do. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs and holds in derision all of these earthen powers. And we must remember where we are seated. We are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. So, as a result, we need to be laughing too. We need to have the same derision for that which would dare mock the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. So, we have a Potsdam Declaration to this world. And just like the allies in this, our desire is not destruction. It is actually to give them hope, to show them mercy, to see them repent, to turn and to believe. Father, we ask that you would, in your own amazing, miraculous way, work this wonder in this country right now. And not just in this country, but throughout the world. Lord, we know that there is a great harvest that you desire to bring in. And Lord Jesus, we know that you are ripening souls for that harvest. And there are times when we could blanch before the realities of this fallen world and say, how could God get anything out of this? How could God get anything out of this current generation of Christians? This is one of the weakest generations maybe ever in the history of the church of Jesus Christ, and yet you love to choose weak things. Lord, it makes total sense to me that you would take this weakened generation and you would use it to mightily deliver a heavenly blow to this world. Lord, I ask that you would use the raw materials of your church of Jesus Christ right now, here on this earth, to give the goods of heaven to this earth. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to carry the Truman Warning, the Potsdam Declaration, that we would do it with boldness and courage, Lord Jesus. It's in the precious name we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.